Situated on the River Ouse, this magnificent building, which dates from 1445, has played host to a cast of famous characters from the history of Britain, including notable royals and criminals. Its long and colourful history has left its mark in the form of the many ghosts and ghouls set to stalk its impressive corridors and chambers. This includes phantom monks, voices calling out in empty rooms, and a large shadowy man whose heavy footsteps are a sure sign of his presence. I investigated this location in 2011 while writing my book Ghosts of York. Let's find out exactly what happened on that chilly October evening as tonight, join me as we return to York to investigate the York Guildhall. Welcome to episode 21 of How Haunted, a weekly paranormal podcast where each episode we explore the horrible history and terrifying ghost stories of one of the most haunted places on planet Earth. I'm Rob Kirkup, author, paranormal historian and ghost hunter from the northeast of England. Allow me to be your guide as we dare to investigate in depth the often dark and troubled history of each location and of course, the chilling tales of the ghosts that reside within. This week we head back to a city we visited on a number of occasions here on How Haunted and ask just how haunted is the York Guildhall? Listener discretion is advised, as each episode of How Haunted will feature gruesome tales, horrific happenings, bloody murder, and ghosts. So many ghosts. Listen on if you dare. On the 28th of October 2011, I was heading off to one of, if not the most haunted city in the world, York, to investigate the York Guildhall. This was while writing my book Ghost of York, which was published the following year. Joining me was my younger brother Tom and my good friends Rich Stogo and John Crozier. What happened that night, including the detailed history and ghost stories of the York Guildhall, appear in chapter 9 of the book, a chapter called The Council Chamber of Secrets. I will now read an abridged version of that chapter, so you can accompany me on the investigation 
and hear every aspect in detail of what proved to be a night so frightening that not everyone on the investigation would make it through to the end. Late afternoon on the 28th of October 2011 found myself, Rich Stogo, John Crozier and my younger brother Tom sat in front of a roaring open fire in the Cross Keys pub in York. It was bitterly cold outside, so after exploring the wonderful city of York, we considered ourselves lucky to find such prime seats in the fairly busy city centre pub. As Rich went to the bar, I pointed out to John the Halloween pumpkins dotted around the pub. When Rich got back, he told us that the Halloween theme stretched to the ales they had on tap, which include Ripper, Witch's Brew and Ghost Ale. We sat back and we chatted about all manner of things as we watched the busy world pass us by for the next few hours. We left the Cross Keys pub at about 6pm and it was very cold. On our way back to our accommodation for the night, we passed York Minster, which looked staggering all lit up against the clear night sky. Back in our B&B, we changed into suitable clothing for the long cold night that lay ahead. We had to be at York Guildhall for our investigation for 8.30pm, so we had a little downtime. We were guests of mysterious paranormal events for the evening, so we didn't want to be late. We chatted about tonight's location, a historic building which had played a key part in the history of the city, and has played host to some famous characters from York's past. The York Guildhall was the location covered on the Halloween Ghost Walk of York episode of How Haunted. But in the interests of thoroughness, I will recap the history and haunting of this impressive 15th century building. Situated on the River Ouse, tucked away behind York Mansion House, which itself is a grand house dating back to 1725 and the official residence of the Mayor of York. And of course, another building not without its ghost stories and secrets. But our focus tonight was the Guildhall. Work commenced on the building of the Guildhall in 1445, on the site of an earlier Common Hall, which dates from at least 1256, as it appears in a charter of that year. The Guildhall would act as a meeting place for the Guilds of York, specifically the Guild of St Christopher and St George, and the Corporation, the cost being divided equally between them. These Guilds would ensure and oversee the quality of workmanship of tradesmen in the city, and control trade within York. Records from the construction exist to this day, including accounts which record that the workmen were given a bonus of three pence to celebrate the laying of the foundation stone. The whole site was taken over by the City Corporation in 1549, and the first ever council meeting at the Guildhall was held in May of that year. Council meetings are still held on the site to this very day in the Victorian Council Chamber that was added in 1891. The building wasn't just used for council meetings, it was used for all manner of official purposes, such as hosting royal visitors, including King Richard III, who was entertained there in 1483, and Prince Albert. The Prince Consort of Queen Victoria was a guest of honour at a royal banquet in October 1850. It was also used as a court of justice, the most famous trial being that of Margaret Clitheroe in 1586, before she was pressed to death for the crime of harbouring Catholic priests and practising Catholicism. In 1647, at the height of the English Civil War, the Parliamentarians agreed to pay a ransom of £200,000 to the Scots, in exchange for handing over Charles I, the then King of England, Scotland and Ireland. The enormous sum was counted out right here in this very building. As it happened, Charles I was executed within two years of the deal being struck, as in January 1649 he was beheaded in Whitehall, London for high treason.
During the Second World War, a German bombing raid in 1942 landed a direct hit on the Guildhall, all but destroying the building. Most of the stone shell of the building was gone, but some of the internal rooms survived, and it was around this that the Guildhall was rebuilt, staying true to the original 15th century structure. This rebuilding took 18 years, and the Guildhall was reopened on the 21st of June 1960. It has undergone a programme of restoration in recent years, with work commencing in 2017 and being completed in April of 2022. Reports place the ghost of Guy Fawkes in the Guildhall, with people reportedly actually seeing the full spectral apparition of a phantom said to be that of the gunpowder plotter. Guy Fawkes was born in York in 1570. He preferred to go by the name Guido Fawkes after spending time fighting for the Spanish army, having adopted the Italian version of Guy in order to sound more Catholic. His exact birthplace has been debated, and confusingly there is a plaque at 32 Stonegate which says that hereabouts lived the parents of Guy Fawkes, suggesting that he was born there. But then the Guy Fawkes Inn at 25 High Petergate, just around the corner, has a sticker in the window designed to look like a blue plaque, which says that Guy Fawkes was born there. Historians largely agree that the most likely location of the Guy Fawkes Inn, which itself is an intriguing building steeped in history, and has its own ghosts, including Fawkes. What it isn't known, however, is what connection Guy Fawkes could have to the Guildhall. There are no historical records which place him at the building, but that's not to say he couldn't have been there at some time. Interestingly, these reports began during World War I and didn't last beyond the end of the conflict. A ghost who is said to still roam the Guildhall to this very day is a large man-shaped shadowy figure, he has been seen within the Guildhall, accompanied by distinctive heavy footsteps. These same footsteps are being heard in the oldest part of the building. And a former mayor and mayoress are believed to have heard these footsteps in an alleyway leading down to the Guildhall, just behind the mansion house which was their home at the time. Disembodied voices are heard throughout the hall, whispering that can't quite be understood. Staff who are all alone at the time hear voices calling their name. For a number of years, some have claimed that ghostly monks have been seen in and around the Guildhall, and there was an Augustan friary just to the north of the Guildhall. Beneath the Guildhall runs Common Hall Lane, a medieval lane that runs under the hall to the river. The use of this lane predates the building, as it's been used to transfer goods to and from the river for a thousand years, including the unloading of the stone used to construct York Minster. A few years after our investigation in January 2015, a Guildhall tour went to Common Hall Lane, which was the last stop on the tour. One of the people went into the dark tunnel and took a quick photo down the far end of the lane. When she looked at her photograph later, she was stunned to see three figures in the light at the far end of the tunnel. You can see this photograph over on the Instagram at How Haunted Pod. Our downtime had ran out and we set off at about 8pm. As we neared the city centre, the streets were flooded with vampires, devils, zombies and all manner of otherworldly creatures, and we'd not even began our investigation. However, this was nothing supernatural. It was Friday night drinkers, dressed up for Halloween. When we arrived, we found that we were the first at the Guildhall. I hung back to take a few photos, so Tom approached the lady waiting to greet us, and he said, Hi, we're Rob Kirkup and his ghost squad. The lady, who introduced herself as Rachel Hayward, welcomed us and ticked our names off her list. 
She told us they were expecting a further 12 people before the investigation would begin at 9pm. As we waited outside the guild hall, I told the others how the investigation came about. I was speaking with York City Council about a different location, and the helpful lady that I was chatting to suggested that it might be worth checking out the guild hall, as she said that it had been particularly active in the last couple of years. It was on the back of this that I contacted Mysteria Paranormal Events, who had exclusivity on investigations here. I spoke to a man called John Blackburn, and he told me that York Guildhall had delivered some amazing results on previous investigations. One particularly odd occurrence was when the management of the building found children's footprints in dust. This in itself isn't unusual, but they were on top of a seven-foot-tall grandfather clock. At 9pm precisely, we were invited inside of York Guildhall, and the four of us had been joined by a brother and sister who turned up shortly after we had, and a party of eight who had booked onto the investigation as a birthday treat for one of their number. We were led into a nice warm staff room with a large table and coffee and tea making facilities. Our host for the evening was Ramon, and he introduced himself and the rest of the Mysteria team to us. Rachel, who we'd already met, was the medium for tonight, and they were joined by Richard, who works at the York Guildhall. Before the ghost hunt, we were to be taken on a ghost walk of York by Rachel. He had earlier told us when we were chatting that she runs a weekly ghost walk every Thursday and was studying for a PhD in a subject relating to the paranormal at the University of York. I put my woolly hat on and grabbed my camera and voice recorder leaving my bag behind. The ghost walk turned out to be an enjoyable experience. A strong mixture of some of the famous locations such as the Treasurer's House and the Punchbowl pub on Stonegate and some of the lesser known locations such as the White Swan Inn and the Guy Fawkes Inn, the latter being particularly apt with the 5th of November being a little over a week away. The walk lasted an hour and we were back in the warmth of the staff room at the York Guildhall for a much needed sit down, toilet break and a hot drink. We had been joined during the walk by a young couple from Manchester who had been running late. This completed our lineup for tonight. 16 investigators, Richard's expert knowledge of the building, and the guidance and mediumship of Rachel and Ramon. Ramon, sitting at the head of the table, took a sip from his drink and asked if anyone had ever been involved in a paranormal investigation before. I looked around at the new faces around the table. No one put their hand up except for the four of us. Ramon already knew of our year-long adventure which had taken us to some of York's most haunted venues and asked if we'd like to share our experiences with the group. His gesture had been directed towards me more so than the other guys. I looked at Tom, John and Rich, and each bore an expression that said, Go on then, talk. I turned to our teammates for tonight and introduced myself and explained the book. I talked about some of the locations that we'd investigated so far. They all seemed genuinely interested and had lots of questions for us around how we got into Ghost Hunt in the first place, what we'd encountered so far, and if we had any expectations for tonight. The truth is that I had no expectations whatsoever but I was very excited to find out what would happen when our investigation was underway. Ramon wanted to discuss the importance of health and safety. It was imperative that everyone have their own torch, as some of the areas we'd be going into would be very, very dark. He was also keen to stress that there would be opportunity to take photos, but if you can take photos, this can delay eyes becoming accustomed to the darkness. This would also be the case if someone was to have a torch shone towards them, so to keep torches pointed towards the ground. He added that after having a discussion with Rachel, 
For the majority of the evening ahead, we would all be staying together as one group. This last point concerned me slightly, as there were 19 of us in total, and it would be near to impossible to differentiate between genuine paranormal activity, or a sound, or the feeling of being touched coming from someone else in the team. Before we began, Rachel led a psychic workshop which she said may help us when we got underway. She explained that everyone has the ability, and it's a matter of training and harnessing it correctly. We followed her instructions and we all sat with our eyes closed, breathing deeply as Rachel talked, painting pictures with her words. When she asked us to open our eyes, I certainly felt more relaxed, but had I harnessed my psychic potential, it was time to find out. In order to put our newfound powers to the test, we swapped an item of ours, something dear to us, with somebody else in the room we didn't know. I partnered up with a guy who looked a bit like Simon Pegg, and we each swapped something that we had with us. We sat quietly with our eyes closed, holding on to the object, and Rachel talked quietly to help us focus. We had to think about whatever came into our minds when we thought about that object. I couldn't think of much, but once we'd opened our eyes, Rachel wanted us to go around the table and say what we thought of, and I was first. I said, Green car? But the guy shook his head and said almost apologetically, My car is black, mate. Tom and John also drew a blank with their partners. But when it came to Rich's turn, he'd obviously unlocked some powerful mental ability that had lain dormant until now as he reeled off a huge long list of things that would put Mystic Meg to shame. I'm seeing a holiday somewhere tropical. A big bird, a tin opener, birthday cards, perhaps some kind of party. To all of these the lady he'd been partnered up with was shaking her head. His list continued, and by now this seemed like some kind of psychic version of the Generation game. He eventually said, a white Vauxhall Corsa. She stopped him immediately and said, I'd quite like a white Vauxhall Corsa. This was chalked up as a success. Richard's partner came up with nothing, which was hardly surprising considering the item dear to his heart that he'd handed over was his glow-in-the-dark torch that he'd only bought the day before from the Metro Centre for the princely sum of £1. There were a few genuine successes though, which definitely gave me food for thought as to how productive a longer workshop could be. It was now the time we were waiting for. Our ghost hunt was finally underway. In a similar manner to what we'd usually do, Ramon said that we'd begin with a walkthrough of the building room by room, an opportunity to take some photos and get a feel for each room. Out into the main hall, Rachel told us that she'd been on quite a few investigations now and always gets the image of dancing here, although she can't explain when or why. Rich whispered to me, perhaps on the back of our psychic workshop, that he has a very strong feeling that soldiers from the war were dancing and celebrating in the room. Someone spoke up. I feel cold. My feet are very cold. Ramon added in agreement. Yes, it feels like the cold is coming up from the floor. There was lots of nodding and a chorus of people agreeing. Yes, it is very cold. I felt cold, but until now I hadn't considered it being anything paranormal. We'd been sat in a nice cosy heated room drinking hot tea and coffee and we were now out in a big drafty hall on a freezing cold night. There was no time to dwell on it though as we were on the move. The next room was an impressive meeting room with rich panelled wooden walls and a long table with 14 seats around it and a stunning view of the River Ouse. The first thing I noticed upon walking in was the smell, which I also heard a few other people comment on. It was a burning smell, 
and took me back to stand around bonfires on November the 5th. The smell of the burning wood and the distinctive smell of the spent fireworks. Ramon said, Can everyone else smell burning? And every single one of the 19 people in the room agreed. Someone asked Richard, our Guildhall expert, if there'd ever been a fire in the room. And he said that despite the building having suffered extensive damage over the years, there'd not been any fire in that room that he was aware of. We all stood in silence for a few moments, and then Rich complained quietly of a terrible headache. Ramon made everyone jump as he suddenly spoke, pointing to us, the light through the window casting his eerie shadow across the wall. How do you four in the corner feel? Rich replied that he had a headache. Ramon explained why he'd been drawn to that corner we were stood in. There is a mirror on the wall behind you. I saw a face in that mirror look at each of you in turn, and it had an evil grimace on its grotesque face. We all turned around and there was most definitely a mirror behind us, but none of us had seen or felt anything. Someone from the group celebrating a birthday said that they felt darkness in the doorway behind Rachel was getting darker, and forming the shape of a person behind her. A few other people were visibly and audibly shocked by this, as they too looked and could see the very same thing. We moved into the next room, which was even more impressive than the last. Again, it had wood panelling, and it had a large wooden table in the centre. Around it were two circular rows of wooden seats with leather padding. Towards the back of the room were three rows of wooden benches, and the only noise was the loud ticking of a clock above these benches. Richard told us that this was the council chamber, and council meetings had taken place in this very room for over 500 years. The first thing we all picked up on was the same burny smell from the previous room. It seemed likely that it was something to do with the polish that they used on the wood. The room was very generously lit from the huge windows. Rachel said she was picking up on a much darker vibe in this room than the previous rooms. She said she felt threatened. Rich, who was stood at my right, spoke up in agreement. I feel watched. Actually, I feel danger. Rachel nodded in agreement. A few moments later, Rich told me quietly someone had just poked him in the back of his leg. I told him to speak up, as Ramon had earlier told us that if anyone felt anything, we should speak up straight away, so he did. Someone's just poked me in the back of my knee pit, he said loudly to everyone. Rachel said that there was definitely something in the room with us, and it didn't feel right. It felt powerful, and it felt intense. At that moment, the girls from the birthday party all let out a simultaneous scream. They'd heard a loud bang in the seats to the back of the room. Tom joined in with the psychic detective work, asking, Has anyone fallen down here in recent years? Ramon responded before Richard could speak, and said that with the building being well over 500 years old, it's almost inconceivable to think that people won't have fallen down, but nothing significant. John and Rich split off from the main group and went into a dark corner that they'd both been drawn to and a couple of other people commented that they had felt that something was watching from that corner. Rich and John immediately walked into an icy cold spot, which didn't seem to be a draught from the window. Rachel joined Rich and John and agreed that there was definitely a presence with us. All the while this was happening, there were more noises coming from the back of the room. There was so much activity going on all around us that it seemed such a shame that we had to move on although it was agreed that we would definitely have to return to the council chamber later to see what else it would have in store for us. Just off the council chamber was an antechamber, with a table in the centre and a couple of large windows overlooking the river, providing plenty of light into the relatively small room. After five minutes of inactivity in here, with both Rachel and Ramon saying that they weren't picking up on anything, we moved on again. 
We headed upstairs and we were led into a long, narrow corridor with a huge paint leaning against one wall. It was really warm. It was uncomfortably warm. A voice from out of the darkness said, I am thirsty. Rich spoke up and said, I am so thirsty that my mouth is stuck together. Then there was a loud bang from back along the corridor, close to the door we just came through. However, Tom and I were at the back of the group and there was nobody behind us. Richard, who worked here, told us that the only people in the building were the people right here on this ghost hunt. There were no members of staff or any cleaners working at this late hour. We went downstairs. We went all the way down to the basement. It was another warm room. It was mainly used for storage. And no sooner had we all reached the bottom of the stairs than there was a loud bang from behind a partition wall. Ramon asked if anyone fancied standing over there alone. There were a few responses of no chance. But John, always willing to investigate further, shrugged his shoulders and said, I'll do it. And he coolly walked off into the darkness. There were several loud bangs from all over the room before we went through a double door and into the kitchen. In the kitchen, Rachel said that she was seeing the clear image of a hooded figure, similar to that of a monk. She said she'd never sensed the spirit before at the Guildhall, and asked Richard if this would make any sense given the history of the building. Richard took a moment, and then said as if surprised, Yes it does, it's not very well known, but the site of this building was once a friary. The final location of our walkabout meant going outside, and by now the temperature was nudging zero degrees Celsius, so it was time to wrap up warm. We were led to a small door, and Rachel told us that beyond this door was a tunnel that runs beneath the Guildhall down to the river. We entered one by one, and it was absolute darkness once we were inside. It was cold but dry, and we didn't see any of the rats that Richard had warned us about. We weren't there too long, but long enough for one female member of our party to let her blood curdle and scream because she'd felt fingers walking up her back. She turned around quickly, but she was stood with her back close to the wall and nobody was behind her. Another member of the large birthday group gasped loudly, covering their mouth in horror. One of their friends asked them what was wrong, but they continued to stare. By now their friend was begging them to tell them what was wrong. They finally spoke and said that they'd been looking down the tunnel towards the open end down near the water and they saw a face look around the wall at the bottom of the tunnel, then vanish back into the shadows. We returned to the base room for a short break. I had a drink, and looked around at the other members of the party. A few seemed very uneasy having been around the building after dark. The laughing and joking that there had been plenty of earlier in the evening had all but stopped, and there were several worried frowns. I think it had quickly hit home that this was very real and perhaps those who booked onto the event, believing it to be a bit of fun, had a long night ahead of them. Ramon had earlier asked if there were any sceptics in the room, to which three people put their hands up, one of which was our very own Tom. Ramon took the opportunity on our break to sit down with Tom and inquire about his scepticism and what would convince him that there are such things as ghosts. It was midnight and it was time to begin our investigation properly. As one group, we headed to the council chamber, which had seemed so promising earlier. We spread ourselves around the outside of the room. Ramon had asked if anyone would sit in the seats at the back, where there'd been definite bangs earlier. There was initial reluctance from the other members of the group, so Ramon looked to the four of us, the more experienced members of the group, and I spoke up and said I didn't mind. I climbed over a low wooden barrier and took a seat in the back row. I immediately thought I saw figures move right in front of me. Then I realised that I had. But it wasn't anything supernatural, 
It was the brother and sister who were part of the hunt. They had not said a word, but they came to join me. They didn't sit in a different row, or they didn't sit along from me. They sat right next to me. Everyone stood or sat silently for a few minutes. The only sounds I could hear was the whistling of the wind outside and the pounding heartbeats of the two first-time investigators sat next to me. Ramon suggested we all gather around the central table and ask the spirits, that both he and Rachel were convinced were there with us, to use our energies to come forward. This we did, and despite a few clicks and bangs coming from elsewhere in the room, it seemed fairly calm. The room had appeared so active earlier that we all agreed it would make sense to remain patient, but perhaps splitting into two groups, one staying here, and one moving into the antechamber next door might be a more productive move. Rachel was keen to stay here in the council chamber, so Ramon asked for eight volunteers, four boys and four girls, to go with him to the next room. Rich, Tom, John and I had a very quick chat, and we agreed to split up. Rich and John would stay here in the council chamber, and Tom and I would follow Ramon. In the antechamber, Ramon asked us to sit around the table, boy, girl, boy, girl, as he said he believes it helps the energy to flow. He asked us to join hands to help the energy flow, while he asked out of the spirits with us to let us know and come into the circle. Several minutes passed, and the only thing I'd heard was the sound of Rich loudly calling out in the council chamber. Ramon suggested that the girl sat next to me, a young lady called Jade from the birthday party group, should swap places with the girl sat opposite her, as that might help. It didn't. Ten minutes later we rejoined the other group in the council chamber and they'd had far more of a result than us, with some truly amazing happenings. Rich had been the main person asking out with a little help from John, as is usually the case on our investigations, and they'd successfully made contact with somebody who'd came to the guild hall to repent their sins. This was backed up with bangs and knocks, and even the sound of chains or keys jangling. Things became so intense that one woman from the party of eight celebrating a birthday, had to leave. Not only the room, but the building, and she didn't return. For her, the investigation was over. Despite all of the activity in the council chamber, the night was slipping away, and we had to move on as we had so many other rooms to investigate. We descended the staircase to the basement and into the kitchen. The 18 remaining members of our team stood in a large circle, boy-girl, and held hands. Ramon began asking aloud for almost 10 minutes, but had no response whatsoever. Rachel suggested Richard John ask out, as they'd done in the previous room with great success. Rich turned to his left and said, Do you want to ask out, John? But a deep, unfamiliar voice came out of the darkness and said in response, I'm not John. Richard thought John was nearby, but John was actually opposite Rich in the circle. Rich spoke aloud, and we immediately heard a few bangs come from a dark corner where no one was stood. A woman stood hand in hand with Rich was complaining of stabbing pains in her stomach, and she had to leave the room. She returned a few minutes later, but didn't feel at all comfortable. We then heard voices talking outside in the main basement area. However, everyone in the building was accounted for, and stood right here in this room. Ramon asked for a volunteer to go into the centre of the circle, so we could ask the spirits with us to use our collective energies to affect that person somehow. Tom bravely said that he would. However, any requests for Tom to be touched, spoken to or pushed, unfortunately failed, and with a fast approach and 2.45am, it was time to move to the next location, which would prove to be our final area, the tunnel.
The tunnel seemed almost darker now, if that was possible. We stood in a circle halfway down the steep slope, and before we could even attempt to make contact with the spirits lurking within, Rachel jumped, making everyone else jump. Did someone just touch my arse? Of course, nobody had. For one, we were all spaced fairly far apart and there was nobody behind her. She apologised for our outburst, but described what had happened to her being similar to someone running up behind her and kicking her hard up the backside. Ramon saw the value in a willing volunteer stand a little further down the tunnel, behind where Rachel was stood. He added, perhaps one of you four guys might want to. I said I would, and I moved a couple of metres further down the tunnel as the others moved closer together to fill the gap in the circle I'd just left. After only a few minutes, I heard noises right behind me. A shuffling sound. I turned around expecting to see a rat, but upon scanning the area with my torch, I saw nothing at all. With Rich leading the session, asking for signs and asking for responses to questions, it didn't take long for the tunnel to become incredibly active, with sounds all around us. Stones were being thrown, and several people said they'd been touched or had their clothes tugged. It was almost inconceivable that we could be alone. There was most definitely something with us in the darkness. As if that wasn't impressive enough, we all saw a light at the end of the tunnel that we'd entered through. The entrance was now firmly closed and there couldn't be any light coming through. The bright white light was moving back and forth and we all looked on astonished. This had us all beaten, although a couple of people tried to rationalise. Perhaps the car had come into the car park to turn around. Richard explained that he'd locked the gate earlier in the evening and cars couldn't enter. There were two cars parked outside, but the owner of both of those cars were in the tunnel with us right now. All of a sudden a voice called down the tunnel from where the light was. Hello? Several of the ladies in the group screamed in unison, while several of the men in our group swore loudly in shock. Disappointingly, almost annoyingly, it turned out to be some members of a different Mysteria paranormal event, which had been at Haunted, which is a 35 stone gate elsewhere in York, and decided to pay us an unplanned visit upon their night finishing. They were led by a lady called Annette, a medium of many years, who went on to tell us what she could sense in the tunnel. However, before she could even begin, one of the ladies from the large birthday party let out a scream and began to cry. Before anyone could ask what had happened, she was led out of the tunnel by a friend. Annette described 20 workmen walking down the tunnel on their way to work, perhaps to catch a barge from the river. Richard said this could well be the case as boats along the river would have been a popular mode of transport. Ramon asked if they had heavy boots as he couldn't move his feet, as if he was wearing really, really heavy boots. Annette nodded and said, yeah, very heavy. She said they were all residual spirits who passed by us, unaware of our existence. But there was one exception, a workman called Max, who had hung back slightly from the rest of the group, as he could see us all. Someone suggested we walk to the bottom of the tunnel. Annette agreed this was a good idea. Some of us heard a bang from the very bottom of the tunnel, beyond where we were stood. John went to investigate, but found nothing. Annette told us that Max had stopped to look at one of our party. A young woman with blonde hair stood near a wall. A voice said, that's me. It was Leanne, a young lady who'd come up from Manchester with her boyfriend. Annette said she reminded Max of his own sister. She added that his spirit was fading away now, as were the other workmen. It was almost 4am, so we headed back to base one last time. We were all exhausted, but we'd had a very eventful evening. Richard wanted to tell us some of the things that had happened at his place of work, 
He said the council chamber is well known for being particularly active, and on the last investigation in the building, somebody collapsed in the room. I found this particularly interesting given the question Tom had posed much earlier about whether anyone had fallen there. He also said that everyone who works there fears the basement, and people who do need to go down won't look behind them, as there's a constant fear of being watched. Ramon and Rachel thanked us all for joining Mysteria Paranormal Events for the evening, and hoped we'd all had a memorable time. We all give them a round of applause, as it was the perfect way to round off what had been a fascinating night. We said our thank yous and goodbyes, and the four of us left at 4.15am for the 30 minute walk back to our B&B. The streets of York were almost deserted, and it was so cold that by the time we got into our beds, at close to 5am we were all wide awake. We chatted quietly about our highlights from the evening, until one by one we fell asleep. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode. You can follow How Haunted on Twitter at, at @howhauntedpod, or over on Instagram at howhauntedpod, where you will see photos galore relating to the York Guildhall. If you want to get in touch, you can do so by visiting the website at www.how-haunted.com, or you can email me directly at rob at how-haunted.com. Feedback, location, suggestions, and your own experiences are all more than welcome. Feel free to ask me any questions you like, and I'll answer them all on a dedicated Q&A episode. If you'd like to support the show and get early access to episodes, you can join the Patreon for less than the price of a pint. You'll also get exclusive episodes where you'll join me on an actual paranormal investigation and hear the audio as it happened. There are five episodes of this nature waiting for you right now. If you aren't a fan of Patreon, or perhaps would prefer to make a one-off donation to the podcast, why not donate £2 to buy me a coffee? All the information on how you can support How Haunted is in the podcast description and over on the website. If you've enjoyed this episode, if enjoy is the right word, then please subscribe and review the podcast on your podcast provider of choice. Next time out, we head to a beautiful village in Kent, which was once recognised by the Guinness Book of Records as being the most haunted village in Britain. Ghostly residents include a broken-hearted monk, a highwayman, the swinging phantom of a hanged schoolmaster, and those who remain trapped eternally in the aptly named Screaming Woods. Let's find out all about these spectres and a whole host more next week when we head to Pluckley Village. Thank you so much for accompanying me for our paranormal adventures once again. Stay safe and join me next time when we will once again ask the question, How Haunted?
Thank you.